If things go wrong, okay, so be it. But if you don't know what just happened, then you have a very big problem. This is the first episode of the Forest Walk podcast, and today I'm interviewing my good friend Sylvester Kuiper. And uh, Sylvester um, is a baker, but also a barbecue grill master, and is one of the most passionate guys I know uh, when talking about uh, bread, but also about barbecuing. So I'm very interested to learn more and um, about his history and his passion for the things he does. Yeah, we're walking here through the forest next to the garden of the former queen of the Netherlands, Princess Beatrix. So the weather is nice. So, yeah, all the conditions are here to have a good conversation, I think. <laughs> I think so. So, Sylvester, uh, we talk a lot about our passion for our work. And uh, what strikes me and resonates with me is that it is not something you choose to do it's something you have to do almost yeah correctly it's it's like a, a, a driven force which uh, comes from within we'll start with the first profession which is like my core business it's the bakery i'm a fourth generation and we're specialized in bread baking and so the company starts back uh, dating to uh, 1910 and people always uh, tell me like you know it was meant to be or it was obvious or it's like a forced thing well it's actually none of the above it's just like the feeling that i realized pretty soon uh, at a young age that my skill set is with my hands and therefore i choose to do the bakery and the thing i like about the product is like you you, you basically start with scratch I mean, the morning starts, you have flour, you have water, you have yeast, or you use sourdoughs. And then from there on, you're just going to start. And then by the time the store will open, you have, you know, put all your skill sets in it. And you have a nice product, which also is uh, like a daily need for a lot of people. And if you say that as a kid you already knew that you would work with your hands, uh, how did you find that out? What, what, as a kid, what... Did you like to do then? Well, uh, the revelation came, well, for somewhere of a revelation. It came pretty early to me that I found out I was like easily distracted in school. But then again, I had straight A's uh, for art class. So, I mean, that was pretty obvious that, I mean, my hands can practically do what my mind can think. And so that also became a struggle as you know as a as a youngster uh, having to go to school and have to follow rules and, and uh, to live up to a certain expectation that was pretty difficult for me when i started my profound life i noticed that uh, the skill set of you know a clear and clever mind but also the ability to uh, translate my thoughts actually it's like you know drawing in your head without having a piece of paper it's just like doing things making things in your mind and then translate that through your hands i always thought that everybody uh, who was you know doing a profession by hand or or a, or a craftsman that they all uh, had that skill set of you know mm -hmm. just creating things in their mind and then making them but it turned out it was not <laughs> you thought it was normal i thought it was normal because okay. I, i was doing it so i thought yeah. you know other people must have the same uh, skills Huh. But you also just mentioned that you had some trouble with following boundaries. Uh, well, you know, I'm a 69er, so, <laughs> so I'm born in 69, and 
turned out I was uh, I am dyslectic, and mm -hmm. which at that time was just uh, you're just stupid and lazy. I mm -hmm. mean that was basically how they how they labeled me. So uh, school for me was uh, not really challenging because I was like my mind was overpowering uh, the education I was getting, but it, it didn't come out because you know I'm dyslectic. So that was struggling for me and trying to find my way. So. When I was at the age where I could start working, I could uh, literally put my thoughts to uh, to my hands and craft something from it. I was 17 years old. I uh, started working in a bakery and then uh, attained school for two days in the week. So that was like a six-day uh, work week. And then uh, I noticed that for me it was very difficult. Also the boundary thing with by uh, working for other people like you know like abstract my mind like I um, I've got to do this and I know and I can feel like in every fiber that it's not the right choice mm -hmm. so at a very young age I decided uh, whatever I'm gonna do I want to do something for myself mm -hmm. I want to be uh, self-employed and um, uh, eventually run my own company and was there um, some force from the family to take over the bakery no there was no force at all actually uh i always was kind of uh, like rejecting the idea of uh, stepping into the bakery and that, i think that has to do with i grew up in, in a bakery family and you know seeing besides all the upsides also the downsides there i thought you know that it, if it's like this for three generations then it has to stay like this so, and then um, I finally made peace with myself. So then I sat down with my wife and we, we talked about the whole idea and the whole concept of uh, taking over a bakery. So and then we decided, okay, we're going to give it a go. And at first, you know, we just obtained the level of what it was. And after a while, we thought, oh, the bakery is like, you know, like a closed-in, it's like a closed-in service, like how it always has been. Mm -hmm. Never changed, never changed a winning team. Very traditional. Very traditional. So then we thought, okay, uh, if, we, if we turn it around like 180, then people would like be not feeling comfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't recognize it as their own bakery. So we decided, okay, let's say if we can make this like um, a, a concept. The store used to be very traditional. We now have a store where people can like shop for themselves. They can just walk around, uh, see all the products. The level of service by that is increasing because if you spend one-on-one -on -one time with a consumer and, and people are waiting, they feel the pressure of the other, other people are waiting. Mm -hmm. So they, they just get hasty. And now there's an environment which uh, makes it much more uh, comfortable for people also to ask very specific questions about ingredients or about allergies and that's an upcoming thing in the world I mean people want to know what they're eating and like I said in the introduction you're uh, I said famous for your sourdough bread but <laughs> if you are in your shop you have a large uh, collection of sourdough yeah. bread and why sourdough well sourdough is um, what well it sounds it's proof of life hmm and it's just given by doing nothing and well <laughs> it sounds pretty easy but it's, it's a lot of work but it's, it's a natural process that comes you know from nature itself there's no haste there is no rushing there's just only ingredients and uh, actually nurturing it 
So if you nurture something right, it will grow. I mean, and that's what sourdough does. I started about 10 years ago before uh, people in the Netherlands were even uh, introduced to sourdough. There were a lot of naysayers. And uh, that was, for me, that was a trigger to go, yeah. It took me about a year to start from scratch to a sellable product. And if you have a sellable product, it's not like you put it on a shelf and it will go. Also, that takes time and it takes nurturing. So what I did, I baked great amounts of it. And then on a Saturday, I would just stand in the bakery, in the store, slice it and tell people about it. Make them acquainted with the flavor, make them acquainted with the process, make them acquainted with the purity of the product. So I did that for about a half a year. And then it finally landed and it started to become, like nowadays, it's like 50% of the sale we make in the, in the shop. So I think it's pretty successful. So if you look at your bakery, yeah? so, so mm-hmm. yeah, you're not alone in your bakery. No. And, and how do you do that then? Uh, at first I take them by the hand for a while. And mostly when they're new, I just you know, try to work very tight with them. And you know, to, like, to get the feel of the DNA of the company, of the structure. And the uh, most important thing is just like to see things in another perspective. Thinking, ah, this is the way it is. But if this is the way it is, there are like a lot of other ways to do it as well. So I just try to open that up, you know, very slowly. I mean, so they can process it and they get confidence with their own skill set. Then after a while, I just, you know, like give them room to explore. And then I just, you know, ask them, okay, you know, I want this or I want that. And then I just let it go. And then I just, you know, I monitor from a distance, not trying to interfere. And then just, you know, let's see what happens. And then if things go wrong, then, you know, not getting upset, just, you know, okay, if things go wrong, okay, so be it. But if you don't know what just happened then you have a very big problem. That means that something just struck you out of nowhere. And if you can put your head around it and think of it like, okay, this was not the smartest move, but I know next time what to do. I think that that, that makes progress for people. And I'm just trying to coach them from the side without pulling the work from their hand. I've been sick about 13 years ago. I suffered uh, lymphoma. And what I realized then is I'm... Um, I'm a driving force, but I'm not the driving force. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm not there, I mean, I've been a year offline, unable to work. Just, you know, struggling through the day, try to survive, get out, and then see what happens then. And then I noticed that the people who are working for me, my colleagues or my co-workers, that they uh, master the skill set even when I'm not there. It's different, but it's still a skill set. And then I thought to myself, hey, that gives me a lot of time because all I have to do is to value their skill set and then to make sure that they feel it so they can improve themselves. And that worked pretty well for me. I used to be very serious about everything and like very uptight. And uh, I used to be very like, you know, uh, uh, on top of things too much. And then I thought, why so serious? We're not going to make it out alive. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just let that breathe and give it more air. And then I noticed that by giving it air, it just started to grow. 
I mean, not just a feeling for myself, but also for my family members. I have two daughters and a lovely wife. But also for my co-workers and the people around me. You just shared how you uh, learn other bakers, the uh, finesses of the of the profession. Yeah. Uh, how did you learn the profession? Well, I'm, well, like I said, I'm the fourth generation, so I learned a lot from my father, who died too young, I believe. And also for me, I was just like, I was 19 years old when my father passed away, so I had a lot of struggles with myself at that time. And, well, you know, like I said in the beginning, you know, I'm just, you like, I have these thoughts, almost like drawing, and then I noticed that I could do it. And that actually came like a, like a natural process. It's like a, it sounds kind of stupid, but it's like a natural given pain. I mean, people say it's a gift. Well, I don't know. It's just what I am, and I don't know any better. So I'm like the, the uh, I don't know, I think it's called the modeling kind of type. Like Walt Disney said, you know, if I can dream it, I can make it. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, like, a, well, pretty much for me. I mean, if I can think it, I can bake it. <laughs> and um, I noticed just uh, about a couple of years ago, uh, we wanted to start something new. We wanted to make a complete new bread. And we make now a sourdough bread, which is based on ingredients that are used to brew beer. So we wanted a beer bread. And then people were like, um, uh, you know, difficult and tricky. And then the first time in my life I noticed that when I, while I was working with something completely different, I could just make a recipe in my head and know exactly what the flavor would be. Instead of thinking about products uh, or resources that I have, I was like actually putting flavors together. So from all the resources I have in the bakery, I have three different kinds of salt different kinds of sugar, different kinds of flour. I could like literally put the flavors together and by putting the flavors together, the recipe came. And it was really, well, it was not the first time, but it was the first time I was, I was noticing. Mm -hmm. I was making a recipe in a one taker. So I could think of it. I know how, exactly how the taste is going to be. And then, by doing it, it all turns out exactly the way I wanted it to be. And how did you obtain that uh, that ability? Is, that's the, do you see that as the result of all the experience you have, or how does that work? I don't know. I sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I tell myself, you know, I'm here on Earth, and there are like three people up there yeah. who are like guiding me or something I don't, I don't know I don't know what it is right. it's it's very difficult and um, but I noticed it's like the it's the biggest skill set I have cool. it's just like you know putting flavors together without mm -hmm. really making it and then just right. have to put all I have to do is put it together I'm talking about flavors uh, you're not only uh, designing bread <laughs> No, right. <laughs> About a year ago, I started, um, uh, well, it, used to, it started as a hobby. Um, I got fascinated about American-style barbecue, about smoking, and about the whole culture around it. At the time, I felt I need something different, totally different, uh, for two reasons. One is, I want to do something fun. And the other one was like, if I just stay in the bakery, 
there will be no uh, reflection. Getting, you know, like a writer block. Like, you know, okay, mm -hmm. you got the feeling you've done everything. Okay, what's next? Yeah. So I started, started about a year ago as a, um, just as a hobby project. And, uh, but that kind of got out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's very nice to do. And then also I, I noticed it, it's just like awaking other resources uh, that also reflect back to the bakery. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a knife that cuts both ways. Yeah. With regards to synergy, you, in your... Um the barbecue activities uh, use also bread from the bakery. So yeah, you designed... Yeah, yeah we did, that's the synergy. The, uh, we designed uh, two special uh, rolls. But also there's bigger synergy, which is not just a product. The biggest synergy is like it, it excites me to develop um, the bakery and uh, the, the barbecue catering at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I noticed if I didn't start it with the barbecue catering, then there wouldn't be like the expansion that we are going to make with the bakery. So it opened up new creative directions also for the bakery in that sense. Yeah. And that's the biggest value for the bakery. <clears throat> that's the biggest value for the bakery. It's also the biggest value for me. If you now look at the, the, the activities around the barbecue, catering and um, uh, events and your bakery, how do you see the two move on to the future? How do see the two move on to the future? Well, we have great plans for the bakery which also come uh, like you know after a good vacation and uh, thinking okay what's next so there we have a lot of work to do which is very very fun and very exciting we want to roll out a line of uh, sandwiches and everything on the sandwich has to be homemade so we start from scratch and from there on we go and we make our own chutneys our own sauces our own flavors so that's very exciting and then for um, the barbecue catering company um, well I see that this year we uh, by the end of this year we be able to do two locations at one time or we can do like one very large uh, festival uh, with, with the setups uh, we, uh, we have now and I think, uh, well, it's going to grow. If it stops being fun, well, then it's time to move on. <laughs> You're very good at one-liners and very um, yeah, almost religious in, in hanging on to some of the, your learnings and life lessons. Yeah. Um, what, what, which of them do you want to share with uh, the listeners? Which represent my craftsmanship. It's like, stick to your own, you stick to your own beliefs. That at first... And then um, when I was, uh, uh, when I turned 45, I got a painting from my mother. My mother is a big art collector. And she had a painting in her collection, which I was very fond of. And I now have it, and it's hanging in my living room. And it says, seekers of truth follow no path, because all paths will lead there. And I think that's, that's a key factor. Don't just follow a path. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, follow... It doesn't matter. There's no just right or wrong. That's just your way. And if that gut feeling is like so tense that it's good, and whatever people tell you, and how more people tell you no, believe me, it's yes. So always you find your own strength. A while back I heard someone uh, saying, uh, what makes you weird as a kid? 
makes you brilliant <laughs> as an adult. Yeah, that's true. So what would be your uh, advice for that young kid that feels he is uh, different than others and uh, is not confident yet that he has some value in this world? If people treat you like an outcast, then there is something in you which scares them. And people are scared of what they don't know. As a kid, I always remembered that I, wasn't, I didn't fit in the group. I didn't fit in the masses. I didn't fit in the figures and the status, how it should be. I just go my own way. But all the things we have, even the thing we're recording this with, comes from people who didn't care, who just go their own way, although they were different from the rest. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't different from the rest the best thing in life? I think it is. So that was my talk with Sylvester. Great talk and discussion about craftsmanship and what it means, what it means for him. Uh, all about his driving force that it comes from within, the connection between his head and his hands that his hands can make with his mind can think. Um, the way he coaches others in embracing his vision and contributing to his. Um, work and how letting go stimulates them to take their role and finally what it means to be an outcast and how being different can help you in being special. My name is Mark Gelium, uh, you listen to the podcast with Sylvester Kuiper, the baker. Thanks for listening, next episode will be with Rowan Nichols, uh, a programmer, uh, very passionate about his uh, craft and a great guy to talk with, with his uh, Canadian background, um, very open-minded and very passionate about making the world a better place. So looking forward to that. Thanks for listening and hope you will listen next time. Bye.